Okay, and welcome everyone to join us in the, our English Zoom worship. I'm so excited. We're starting a new sermon series called The Three Circle. But before we jump into that, I want to share just two resources that might be helpful for you as you follow along. We'll be on this for uh, several weeks. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we just finished our blessed sermon series. And the whole point of that is uh, helping equip, help to equip each one of us to go be a blessing to others. We talked about beginning with prayer. And we also talked about uh, we need to listen, we need to eat and gather and spend time, build relationship with others. As we get to know them, we serve them. And finally, we talked about sharing our testimony, uh, sharing our story. And so this is actually a follow-up to that sermon series, uh, but more in a specific way of how can we uh, share the gospel with those whom we we build relationship with those whom God had put in our lives. And uh, just a couple of resources for you if you uh, uh, want to follow along this sermon series that will help you supplement what we're doing on Sunday. The first one is simply this, that we'll have our um, uh, devotional uh, reading together. If you don't have a plan, I encourage you to join us. It'll be 40 days devotional. Actually, it's a, a, a ministry, a campaign through our own uh, North American Mission Board, our denomination uh, local uh, mission organization. Uh, it's called 40 Day Devotional with Who's Your One. Uh, you can download that either on, on the link tree later on. Kevin will tell you more about and also on the reading plan on you version on your own. Look that up. Follow along as we learn about the gospel, how to share the gospel. Uh, this devotion will be extremely helpful uh, for you to follow along and be convicted by the Lord how we need to share the gospel to those who are far away from God. Next one is this, uh, simply that uh, the, the, this, this sermon series actually uh, comes with an app uh, that's not pre- uh, created by us. Again, it is through our denomination, Southern Baptist Convention. And this is a very handy uh, app that you can use. Uh, we'll be talking about each component of this way of sharing the gospel. And so uh, download it on your on your phone. Um, it's called Live on Mission. And if you're not good at drawing like me, this, this comes in super handy because you can just whip up your phone and share the gospel and swipe, swipe, swipe. And it looks amazing and professional. Uh, you've ever seen my drawing. Some of you guys have is uh, not very readable a lot of times. So uh, this is a good resource for you to use. I encourage you to download that. So today we're going to kick off our sermon series called Three Circles. Uh, I want to start off with a little experience that I've had. Uh, when I was in college, I was uh, a part of a group called the Navigators. And afterwards, I stayed on staff with them for two years. And a good portion of my day beyond just leading our, our weekly gathering, our small groups, and, and all that good stuff, one of my major um, uh, responsibility or duty is actually go out on campus to share the gospel. And I'll do that for hours on and what most people call the cold contact evangelism, meaning you just go up to strangers. Uh, you don't know them and just talk to them, ask them questions, talk to them about um, Jesus, talk to them about what they think about Christianity. Um, I remember just early on when I started doing that, I was doing that when, even when I was in school before I was on staff, but it's just never easy. Uh, to go up to strangers and ask them talk about religion and and let's be honest like on college campuses generally people are open uh, for new ideas open to talk about religion uh, so most of the time people are not going to be um, angry at you by talking to them um, but each time when you go out is there this huge fear uh, no matter how many times of that I usually do it five days a week for two, three hours at a time. And you would think after a while, 
you would be used to get uh, doing that, but actually, uh, it never become easy for me. Um, and so, so, but some people always kind of ask, Oh, do you think like Ben, do you think this is actually effective evangelism? Like talk, talk to people uh, you don't know, um, people, you know, they might just kind of listen to it and whatever. Right. So, uh, my answer is always is this, like, is it effective? Um, I can't answer that. Like, well, what, what if I'm the fourth person that shared the gospel with this person, but because of that, help the next Christian who shared the gospel with the same person, right? Maybe it took the fifth time and that person came to know Christ. So I don't really know if it's effective. And to be honest, there are times that I really felt like it's not effective because I'll never meet this person again. And who knows what happened to this person uh, when they hear the, uh, the, the gospel message. Usually I have conversation with them, 10 minutes, 20 minutes max is not a long time. Uh, so effective, I'm not quite sure. But the thing I always tell people is this, those, ex- that's, uh, those experiences I had when I was on staff and preaching in cold contact evangelism, what helped me the most, what was the most productive thing about those times? Certainly one is being faithful and sharing the gospel. But two is this, that it, gi- it gives me a lot of repetition in talking about the gospel. It causes me to be creative, to know how do I walk into a conversation? How can I leverage everything that the person is sharing and point that person to how the gospel address the needs and the brokenness of this world? And I tell people, maybe people don't came to know Christ the moment I talk to them. But what it helped me the most is I just get a lot of repetition. I was talking about the gospel on a daily basis. I learned about the gospel. I learned to talk about the gospel in ways that I never thought I would before. And so on that level, it was extremely productive. I would not trade for any, any uh, time that, uh, of that time in, in my life because it gave me a lot of repetition uh, to share the gospel. I don't know if you follow sports. Um, one of the most daunting tasks is for players on the bench. Particularly when it comes to American football, they uh, during practice, they don't get a lot of repetition. So usually the starters, people who start the game, they get the most repetition during the practice. And what happened is a lot of times when the starter got hurt, then they have to throw in the backup in there, right? And oftentimes the other team knew that the backup have very, very few uh, uh, snaps or practice of repetition. And so they would just throw everything at this uh, backup, maybe quarterback, backup point guard, backup, whatever position this person play, and try to overwhelm that person. And you can't, you can't blame the backup player, right? Because they just simply don't have a lot of repetition. And repetition comes in really handy when you are in the middle of a game. Same is true for military when they go out to fight. Even though there are a lot of times they're not fighting in the front line, they're training, they're getting repetition. And so when they actually show up at the front line and the battle, they know exactly what to do. They're not trying to figure out, is this how I hold a gun? Is it how I, or in a, uh, a sports um, situation, is that how I shoot a ball? Like they're not thinking through that by that time. They are, they have enough repetition that they know exactly what to do. And I share this because I want to challenge uh, you uh, for the next few weeks to get some of your repetition in, in sharing the gospel. The whole point of this sermon series is not for you to hear it, but for you to practice it. Because for many of you who've been church, you know the gospel. Maybe you don't know it as well as you thought you may be, but you know the gospel. 
And a lot of times what happens, we know it up here. And you probably heard people say, I don't know how to say it, right? People often share that, oh, uh, I know what I'm talking about, but I don't know how to say it. I can't put it into words. So the point of this sermon is this, uh, this sermon series is this. We want to give you as much repetition as possible so that you can practice saying it, talking about the gospel. Let me be upfront here. This is not, I, my, this is not the only way to share the gospel. In fact, you might think this might not even the best way of sharing the gospel, and that doesn't matter. There are a thousand ways for us to share the gospel. The gospel can be shared in many ways, but we choose this way because we find it to be simple enough. But as you get more practice, you can bring more depth into this gospel. We spend the next uh, whole lifetime learning about the gospel. That's the beauty of the gospel, that uh, it is simple. An illiterate person can understand the gospel by just someone telling them. And yet it will take us a whole lifetime to get to the depth of the gospel truth. And so I encourage you as you're following along, take good notes as we're sharing this uh, this sermon series. Also, uh, be 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 intentional in your groups uh, after uh, after today after the sermon uh, after the worship service or in your small groups in a different time. Get some repetition in, so that when God gives you an opportunity, you are ready to step in and share the gospel. So today we're going to turn to First Peter chapter three. I thank you, Cassandra, for reading the scripture for us early. If you have your Bible, please turn to First uh, Peter chapter three. And uh, if just give you a little background, um, Peter, the apostle Peter, great apostle Peter, wrote this letter particularly to a group of people who uh, live in a rather hostile environment. Uh, we don't know exactly how deep the persecution was, but there was sim- seemingly there's a, a is an environment that Christianity was not welcome. And what happened was he was writing to these uh, to, to to his audience and and really answering the question: How do we live godly lives in a godless world? How can we be faithful to God to Jesus Christ while people are are while while people are intimidating or even causing you to have fear uh, in this world? And so that's really where Peter is coming at this letter. And he was reminding his audience how you can live faithful life in a faithless world. And among many of the things that he talked about in First Peter, he highlighted one thing that we need to do. One of the things that we need to be faithful as followers of Jesus to do is to share the gospel. So I want to take a look at First Peter chapter 3 today and, and, and kind of zeroing in the, the, the encouragement, the command of, 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 of needing to share the gospel, particularly being ready to give the reason for the hope that we believe in. And so First Peter chapter 3, let's go there. First Peter chapter 3, I want to um, uh, read particularly uh, focus on verse 15. Here's what it says. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. We want to spend majority of our time here in this verse because Peter is telling us that we need to be ready to make a defense and we need to be ready to give an answer to the people who ask us about our faith, ask us about our relationship with God. And the way I want to, sh- I want to shape our, my sermon today is this. I'm going to shape it in the form of four questions. I want you to write down these questions as I'm going through them, because uh, this will serve as a way for you to check your heart 
and they come before the Lord and, and, and ask God to give you the strength and the faith uh, as you go out to live faithfully for him and share the gospel. So the first question I want to give you from verse 15 is this, that do you see Jesus Christ as your Lord? Verse 15 says, but in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy. When we think of sharing the gospel, oftentimes the first question we're thinking, what do I say? How do I meet these people? But the first thing that Peter turned his attention to was not about the loss. It was not about people who are far away. It was to us. He encouraged and exhorted the people of God and said, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. The biggest, the first step, the, the, the most important step in sharing the gospel is not just to learn what to say, is not to make relationship. The first and most important thing for us to do is we need to check our heart to see, do I really see Jesus Christ as Lord? Do I really see him as my master? Do I really want to share the gospel because I want to honor Jesus? Many times when we think about the gospel, we tend to think of, oh, I need to save people who are far away from God. They need the gospel. I need to bring it to them. And those are all true statements. But what happened is if we just look at them to be, let people to be the motivation for us to share the gospel, we, we, sooner or later, we will lose that motivation. Sooner or later, we will miss. And when that person is, is not, you know, when they're out of sight, they're out of mind, we don't, we don't think about, I need to share the gospel with them. Or if those people are not people that you come across or you like, you can have every reason not to bring the gospel to them. Which is why I think Peter specifically turned our hearts to, to this truth. And, and put it in a question form is, do we see Jesus Christ as Lord? You see, the only underlying, underlying motivation, the ultimate motivation for us to share the gospel is not just for the lost. It's really because of Jesus. The most enduring motivation for us to do anything is because we see Jesus as our master, as our Lord. That's why we talked about obedience. He is our king. So first and foremost, I do anything, including sharing the gospel. It's not because I want to bless other people. It's because I want to glorify Jesus. And when you have that as the motivation, you will have the strength. You will have the faith. You will have the perseverance to push through whatever is ahead of you. Fear, insecurity, whatever it is perhaps even trials and tribulations, so that you can honor Jesus as your Lord. See, that's what gives us the pure motivation to go share the gospel. Only is a surprise that the same uh, Apostle Peter, when he first preached his sermon after Jesus went back, uh, uh, after Jesus ascension in Acts chapter 2, you probably remember the story, 3,000 people came to know Christ. Within that sermon, He specifically said this in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. He says, let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. I don't think it's a coincidence why Peter reminded his audience here in 1 Peter, 
as well as to us that Jesus Christ is not just our Savior, our Messiah, but He is also our Lord, our King, someone whom we follow, someone whom we honor. Now, the question for you is this How do you know if you're honoring Christ? How do you know if you really see Jesus as Lord? Because there is a huge difference between seeing Jesus as your Savior alone and seeing Jesus as both your Savior and King. If Jesus is King, you follow him. If he is your master, you follow what he says. Let me just toss some questions for you as you examine your heart right now. How do you know if you are honoring Jesus as the Lord? Let me ask you this. Are you living to bring honor to Jesus? Or are you living to bring honor to your family more? To bring honor to your, your friends more? Or are you living to bring honor to yourself more? Do you strive to do what Jesus commands you to do? Or do you just do whatever that you want to do? Or whatever it was told you to do? Or whatever expectations that's laid before you to do? See, if you honor Christ, you do what Jesus calls you to do. Let me ask you another question. Who gets the final say in your life? Do you get the final say in your life? Do your friends get the final say in your life? Does your family get the final say in your life? See, when we see Christ, when we honor Christ as Lord, we're saying, no, Jesus, you get the final say in my life. I may not feel it. I may not find know, know how to do it, but I'm going to turn to you for the final say. Let me ask you this one. Does every area of your life reflect Jesus' character? Think about your browser history. Think about the, the things that you watch on YouTube. Think about your sip, sleeping schedule. Think about your social media. Think about unspoken thoughts attitudes toward people think about your study habits think about your work habits your work ethics think about your relationship your relationship with your family your relationship with your spouse your relationship with your with your significant other relationship with your friends relationship with those whom you don't like do you live the type of life that's mirror jesus character now, I'm not saying that all of us are perfect, but we better strive to become more like Jesus. If we call him as our Lord, if we want to honor Christ as our Lord, as holy, then we strive to live like our Lord Jesus. So that's the first question I want to ask you. If you, uh, as we learn to be faithful in sharing the gospel, the first one, first question we need to ask is, is my heart toward Jesus? It's not just what I need to learn to say, what I need to do to do something for our people. First and foremost, we must get our relationship right before God, that he is not only our savior, but he is our Lord. He's our king. But Peter didn't stop there. He actually went on and say this, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Here's what he says. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Once we get our hearts right with God, once we are setting our, our orientation of our lives toward Jesus as holy, toward Jesus as our king, the next question we need to ask ourselves is this, am I prepared to give a reason? 
in, in the word in the words of first uh, 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 first uh, Peter here, he says, "Are you ready to give a defense? Are you ready to tell people why you believe in Jesus? Do you know what to say? Do you know how to say it? Are you prepared to make a case for people that Jesus is your Lord? If your friend asks you." Hey, I'm curious about this Christian thing that you're doing, like week in and week out. Like, do you know what to say to them? Do you have more than to say than just, hey, go come to church and, and listen to my pastors preach at you? Do you have something about your life that you can share with them? Do you know how the, the, the fundamental elements of the gospel that you believe in that you can articulate? Maybe a family member, a relative of yours and say, why are you so religious? You do know that Jesus is not real, right? Are you prepared to share with your your relative that, no, Jesus is real, and this is how I know. 1 Peter 3.15 says, always being prepared to make a defense. Making a defense means, is is this word in Greek says, apologia. It means, it comes from, this where some of you guys have heard the word apologetics apologetics is is not being sorry about your faith it's not being really really sorry apologetics literally means making a defense explaining giving a reason are you ready to give a reason are you ready to explain to someone when we think of making a defense we might think of the in in a, in a setting of a courthouse that is exactly opposite actually what what peter is talking about here because we know at the end of this verse, it just says what? Yet yeah, do it with gentleness and respect. We are preparing ourselves to give a reason not to argue our way to gain, save someone to Christ. I have yet to see someone winning an argument uh, or winning people to Christ by, by winning an argument. What happens most of the time when you win a, an argument, you lose that person. You see, the gospel, as we will find in the next three weeks, and we uh, break it down, it can be very offensive. And in fact, the scripture said the gospel is offensive. But the scripture also tells us that we don't need to be offensive. So we can share an offensive message, which is good for people, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Are you ready to give a reason? I don't know if you guys heard of, uh, I've seen this commercial on TV. They don't run it as much anymore. Um, there's this commercial with Holiday Inn Express. You've ever seen it? They always have these, uh, the, the uh, person who stayed at the Holiday Inn Express, and then they would do some amazing thing like open heart surgery, uh, uh, do, uh, fly a plane. And, and then when the person looking at them, they, they will be totally not dressed for the job, but then somehow they seem like they know how, what to do. And then the people will look at that person. It's like, wait, What's going on here? And then the person will always say, oh, but I did stay at the Holiday Inn Express. As if you stay in the Holiday Inn Express, you automatically know to do anything in the world. And what happened is sometimes I think as Christians, we can feel the same way. Just because I come to church, just because I grew up at church, somehow we connect as I'm ready to give a reason. I'm ready to to know what to say uh, to share the gospel. And in my own experience, in my own life, what I realized is that that is not true. It was not true when I uh, first learned how to share the gospel. I've learned how to share the gospel, but it wasn't until I actually started practicing and doing it that I realized how little I know what to say about the gospel. 
And so this is the reason why we're going through through this sermon series, so that you will be prepared to give a reason. But we're not asking you to be to get a PhD in Christianity so that you can pre- give a give give a reason you can present all all over the place. We don't need to be a scholar to give a reason of our faith. I think of John chapter four, one of my favorite stories: the Samaritan woman. She gave a compelling reason. She simply told the village, the, uh, the people in her village, that she's told her, she's told them that could this be the Messiah? Because look, she, he knew everything about me. He, Jesus Christ, knew all the dirt in my closet, all the skeleton in my closet. He knew that I had five husbands, and the one I'm with is not my husband. She gave a reason so compelling because everybody else in the village also knew what kind of sinful woman she was. You see, she did not have to study to get, a, to get a degree to defend her faith. She gave a compelling reason because she experienced her what, what real gospel is. And so I want to encourage you as we walk through this series, we're going to spend most of our time in this question the next three weeks. And as we learn, I pray that God will remind you of how he saved and rescued you. Because as you remember those things, those become the reason for what you can share with others about your faith. Here's the third question. So first one is this, that we need to, we need to make sure that our, our relationship with Christ is right, that we see him as our Lord, as our master, as our king. Second one is this, that, we, that you need to be prepared to give a reason. That we need to get our repetition. So that we can be ready when the, when the situation shows up. And here's our, our third question is this. Does your life cause people to ask questions? Does your life cause people to ask you questions about your faith? When people look at your life, when people interact with you, do they, do they, are they curious about Jesus? Are they curious about how your life turned out, what you do, what you say, how you carry yourself? Does it cause them to be curious about, there's something different about you. I don't know what it is, but there's something different. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3.15 again. Peter says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. We can get our relationship with God straight. We can be prepared all we want about giving the reason for the hope that we believe in. None of that would matter if people don't ask us the questions. See, Peter is saying, be ready because when people ask you, so you have an answer to give. But first, we also need to make sure that people actually ask us the question. We need to make sure that our lives reflect Christ so much that people actually would ask us. Whether they believe in Jesus or not, whether they agree with, with Christianity or not, that they see something so radically transformative, different about us, that they would ask us the question. They would ask us, why? What is it about your, about your life that's so different? Sadly to say, I think for a lot of Christians, our lives are not that different from the world. I think it's not a surprise to you. You probably have read studies and heard of it. Many Christians, or have seen it firsthand. Many Christians live just the same way 
as non-Christians live. And at times, they might live worse. And remember, if we are Christ's followers, if we're following the character of Christ, how can we live that poorly in comparison to the world? So we can claim that Jesus is God. But the challenge I get, I want to ask, I give you today is, does your life reflect that faith that you have in Christ? Because if it doesn't, it is not going to cause people to ask you questions. It is not going to cause people to ask you about your faith. Let me put it another way. If everything about your life is explainable by human power, by human wisdom, by human discipline, everything about your life can be explained by a self-help book, then there is no reason for people to ask us about Jesus. If we are changed by Jesus, something needs to be different about us. Something that needs to be different about us that is only explainable by the presence of Jesus in our lives. In the same way, like a Samaritan woman, People knew, look at her life, saying, no, you are that sinful woman who is that shady woman who is with many men. There's no way that you could change. But guess what? Humanly speaking, there's no way this person can change. Yes, but with Jesus, all things are possible. And through Jesus, this shady woman become an evangelist to bring the gospel to her whole, her whole village. That can only be explainable by Jesus. Same thing is true with, with Peter and John going back to Acts chapter 4. In the, in the, in the face of these people who, who are putting them into jail, they saw something different about Peter and John. Look at this, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They saw something different about these people. The Apostle Peter, Apostle John, they were so bold in telling people about Jesus that they're willing to go to jail. And then they coupled that with these men are just fishermen. They are just just uneducated, common men. They're no special. They're not team A, B, or C. They're not even on the bench. There is no way these lowly people have the boldness to, to, to share the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and even in risking their lives, something is different about them. And as a result, that you know what they recognize? They recognize that they had been with Jesus. Now, here's the question I, I want to ask you. Is there something that people see in your life that is way beyond you? Are you doing so much of God things? Is God, are, you, are, you, are you experiencing so much of what God is doing in your life that when people see you, there's no way Ben could be turned out this way. And it caused them to ask the question. Peter tells us just a chapter before the text that we're looking at today, he exhorted the, the, his audience. He says, this, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. We honor Jesus so we live honorable lives. 
godly lives, righteous life, not to earn our salvation, but because we obey and follow our king. And he says, keep that your conduct among non-believers honorable so that what? When they speak even against you, even if they don't believe in you, they they persecute you, they speak evil against you. What? What would happen? They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Again, the word see shows up. And here's my challenge for you. Do plenty of the what, the good, the righteous, the honorable things in your life. Live so faithful to Jesus so that they will see the what on the outside and they will ask you for the why on the inside. Make it, make your life count in living honorable, righteous, holy lives. Again, not to earn salvation because you won't. You will not live a perfect life, but, but, but because Jesus saved you, live the what that Jesus called you to do so that when people see you, they will ask for the reason why you do it. And then you are ready to give them the answer and the reason. I think of a, a friend of mine who's a non-believer, um, always ask, why do, I, why do, why do my family, why, why does our family do the things that we do? He's always encouraged. Um, in his non non Christian mindset mentality, he thinks that we're just morally good people, and, and he always asks, like whenever we we talk, that hey, why do you do what you do? I know that I we try to do our best explain to them we don't do good things because we're good, we're no good on our own, but because what Christ has done for us, give us the strength to do the things that we do. In the way we parent our kids, we're no no perfect parents. We struggle as parents. But yet, because God, Christ loves us, we are doing our best version of loving our kids. We're doing our best version of loving our neighbors. We're doing our best version of loving those around us. We, we are no special people on our own. But because what Christ has done, we want to do our best to do, to show the same type of love to other people. You know, my friend is not is still not a Christian. We still continue to minister to him. We continue to serve him. We continue to do more of the what? Of the honorable, righteous, holy things that God has called us to do. We're hoping and praying that one day he will get the why. He he loved the what that we do, but he, he doesn't love the why. So we're still praying for him that as God gives us opportunity, we'll continue to show him the why. And I want to ask you the same thing. I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Be faithful and living good honorable godly lives both with your words both with your mind both in your relationship with one another at home i i I say say this specifically for those of you who are at home with non-believing family members the way you live will be a powerful means to help your family come to see christ and to know christ I think of the times that when uh, some of uh, my previous discipleship groups, sometimes we just do just faithful things and opening up physical Bibles in a Starbucks. People will come and ask, what are you doing? Next time, try that out instead of whipping out your phone because people will just think you're on social media. Take out a physical Bible and in your small group, when you're reading together, people will notice and people actually, as it happens many times, and people will just come and ask, what are you reading? Pray during your, when you're back at school, for some of you, say grace during your lunchtime instead of dropping your food and just say quick one, one second prayer. When we live just simple, faithful lives to Jesus, 
it will cost people. It will cost people to ask questions. Think about the marriages that's falling apart in this world. If, if couples, if Christian couples live faithfully and loving one another, it will live pure lives. That in itself is a, a testimony to draw people to Christ and cause people to ask questions. Again, the question I want to ask you is this. Does your life cause people to ask questions about Jesus? Because if it doesn't, then it doesn't matter how much answer we want to give. We'll have no place to give that answer. And finally, here's the last question I want to ask this in this text. Are you willing to embrace suffering and hardship? Are you willing to endure difficulties, pushback, rejection from the people whom you're trying to share the gospel to? In this whole portion of scripture, in fact, if you read through the whole book of First Peter, I encourage you to do so. You can do that in one sitting. It's pretty short. The major theme that Peter is trying to get at to his audience was simply this. That you live in a world that is not friendly to the gospel. If there's one point he's making in the whole letter is keep at it. You don't live in a, a place where it's friendly to the gospel. It is true back in Peter's day. It is true today. And it will be true until Jesus comes back. If you don't believe it, read Revelation. Things are only going to get worse. But let me read this passage to us again. And I highlighted the word for you so that you know what to expect. Verse 13, now, there, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for doing what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revel your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Look at those words. People are going to harm you. People are going to slander you. People are going to revel. People are going to talk badly about you. People might make fun of you. People might think less of you. People might think of you being a narrow-minded person. Today, thousands, thousands of followers of Jesus all around the world are enduring suffering to the degrees that you and I cannot identify with. All because they simply want to share and, and, and make much of Jesus' name. Whether in their own household, in their own villages. They're in prison today. In concentration camp because they cannot stop talking about Jesus. That was the case for Peter himself. If they did not talk about Jesus, the, the one thing the officials tell them not to do is talk about Jesus. If they don't talk about Jesus, they will, be not, they will have a nice comfortable life. And yet Peter and John and the early apostles said, no, how can we keep our mouths shut about the very one that we follow? So they embraced the suffering. They, they, they were not shocked by it. They were not trying to get away from it. They're not trying to get past it. But here's the, here's, as, yes, your pastor, I see it in a loving way. Too many of us, too many of us, at times myself included, that we are trying to find an easy way to share the gospel. A way that will 
minimize rejection. A way that will minimize being awkward. A way that would make us look a little better. But here's the truth here. I wish I can tell you that we can share the gospel and still not come off awkward. I wish I can tell you that when you can share the gospel, that people won't, won't look at you funny. I want to. I wish I could tell you that if we share the gospel, your people would appreciate it. But the word of God says otherwise. So why don't we stop looking for an easier way to share the gospel, but just be faithful in sharing the gospel? True story. Yesterday, we went out to do prayer walk. One of the things that the enemy, Satan, does the most is to instill fear into our hearts. Here I am as a pastor, raising the flag, raising the sail, and let's go pray and walk. And I show up, and, and even within half an hour of showing up, there are all these doubts in my heart, all these fear in my heart. It's like, no, don't worry about it. Let's not go today. You know, people are not going to be there. What's the point? And what do people uh, are being harsh with, with the people that I'm bringing out to pray? There are all sorts of questions that the enemy is sowing into my heart. I literally have to pray and ask God to deliver me from those fear, from those, from those, uh, from, from, from wanting to have an easier life. I could just stay at home for the afternoon. It would be much easier. I can still pray for the community. Why go out and expose myself? Why, why lead people out to expose them to the possibility of being rejected and looked upon as some weirdos walking on the street praying? You see, that's Satan's number one card against you and I. He will play that card every single time to stop us from being faithful to him, uh, faithful to Jesus in sharing the gospel. So we need to just embrace it and expect it, anticipate it. Every time we want to do what is right, every time you have the best uh, uh, a motivation to share the gospel, it will be countered by the enemy's lies and fear and at times physical opposition to keep you from going out, keep you from wanting to open up your mouth. But Peter has shown us and calls, we need to embrace. We need to expect it. And the truth of the matter is this. You and I got no strength on our own against the enemy. And the only way for us to find a type of courage and strength to embrace that. Let me just be honest. Like no one loves suffering. No one seeks suffering. But how can we endure that? The answer is not, let's get tougher. Man, let's get more bold ourselves. Peter tells us. The only way to find strength and courage as he has discovered himself is to go back to Jesus. Is to go back to Jesus. He went on. In just the next few verses, he says this, Christ for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. Jesus Christ himself had walked through the shame, walked through the suffering, even unto death for people like you and I, unrighteous people. Jesus Christ himself has demonstrated for us what it means to die to the flesh 
He showed us the hope and the courage that we can have in the spirit of God. So how do we find courage? How do we find faith in sharing the gospel? How do we endure suffering when people look at us funny, make fun of us, call us Jesus freak? How do we endure that? We look at Christ and what Christ has done already in our lives. Peter didn't stop right there. He says this, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, he embraced suffering even unto death. And what, what, did he, what did Peter tell us to do? Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. We are not going to find strength in ourselves to open our mouths in a place where it's increasingly to be against Christ and, 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 and the gospel. But we need to look at our king who suffered for us. 